Good morning. Welcome to Mission View. So glad to see you this morning. Jason, great job. Filling in last minute, I think, when did you get the text? Friday. Friday. So uh, Jesse, our worship leader, is in quarantine. So uh, he called, um, and it was either Jason or me. So I am very thankful, and you are very thankful, that uh, Jason led worship for us this morning. So glad we were able to do that. Great worship, too. Praise the Lord. And always a wonderful time to be able to celebrate communion, remembering uh, the sacrifice that Christ has made for us, just awesome stuff. So, well, um, my name is Matt Halp. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church. If this is your first time joining us, we're so glad that you're here with us today to worship with us. And if you're joining us online for the first time, so glad you're here with us. A great time to, to... start or visit your first time. We're starting a new series. It's our Advent series. And today we're going to be talking about hope and what Jesus has brought to us when he came, Emmanuel, God with us, what he brings. We're going to be diving in. It's one thing to know that, that Jesus was a real person, that he came, that he was born of the Virgin Mary. And we hear these things, we kind of know these things, but it's, it's a different thing to kind of dive into the realities that, that are because of that. That there's so much, um, we could say uh, Jesus came, but there's so much more than just that simple statement, powerful things, implications in our lives because of that. And that's what we're going to be doing. Advent, um, it's so, Tim did such a great job explaining Advent, the start of the Christian calendar. This is a time, you know, these next four Sundays and then Christmas Eve. Is the purpose of Advent is to prepare our hearts, this, this waiting expectantly of the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, and so over the next few weeks, diving into what it means that Christ came, we're going to be preparing our hearts to celebrate Christ's coming for you and me. It's just really great stuff. Um, last weekend, if you weren't able to be here with us last weekend, it was an amazing time. It was a celebration Sunday. Uh, we celebrated baptisms. We celebrated new members in the church. Uh, we celebrated baby dedications. It was just a great time. We talked about all the missionaries that we support and what God's doing uh, through our missionaries. So if you missed that, I'd encourage you to check it out online and watch through that. It was just an amazing, amazing Sunday. A great time. So we also relaunched Project Base Camp. We have a building, a new church home that's uh, getting ready to be renovated. Um, out in the lobby today, there's a computer set up there with a TV screen. You can actually do a 3D rendered walkthrough of our new building. So um, you just go up to the laptop and push play on the laptop and it'll play on the TV screen there for you. Um, there's a first floor walkthrough and a second floor walkthrough. Those are available on the website as well. So if, if you missed that last week, you're interested to see that, you can check that out at our website as well. So um, anyways, we have our Be Still invitations. This is a great opportunity for us. Uh, Christmas Eve, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Christmas Eve and Easter are the two services of the year where uh, people will just go to church because it's time to go to church. And what we realize is that that is a great opportunity. That is a great opportunity for us to talk to our neighbors or maybe family members that don't know the Lord and uh, invite them to come and hear God's word. So we created these invitations. They're really nice. They have our graphic on it for the sermon series. It's got the time and location. And you can give these out to your neighbors or maybe some friends or family members that maybe you've been sharing Christ with. You can invite them to that service. And we're going to be sharing the gospel um, on Christmas Eve. And it'll be a great opportunity to do that. So these are available out at the welcome table. And I think we're going to put them on the table where you picked up the communion elements as well. You can grab them there and invite some friends. So anyways... I'm really excited about this sermon series. 
And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew. And we're going to be in chapter 12. We're going to jump around a little bit today. We're going to, we're going to do some work in our Bibles today. I hope you're ready for that. So um, have your Bibles ready, whether it's that digital Bible on your iPad or iPhone or your, your good, your good old-fashioned paper Bible that we, we love to carry around with us. But we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Let me pray for us before we read God's word today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together this morning and worship, that we can celebrate communion, remembering the sacrifice that Christ made for us, his body that was broken and his blood that was shed for our sins. We are so thankful that we can come and celebrate that this morning. We celebrate you, Jesus, this morning. So as we open your word, this God-breathed, supernatural word that you've given us to reveal yourself to us, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the truths that rest in this book, that it would bring life to us, that it would change our hearts, that it would change our minds, that we would grow and, and go from this place a different person because of the time that we've spent with you this morning. We surrender our will to you, we surrender our lives to you, and we say, Father, have your way, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 12, I'll start us off in verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Now, I want to stop and give us a little bit of context, because anytime you started reading the Bible and it says, Jesus aware of this, we want to know what this is, okay? So what's kind of going on in our text today is that the Pharisees and other religious leaders of the time were sick of Jesus. I mean, he was challenging the authority of the Pharisees and the legalism of the Pharisees. He was bringing this new covenant, this new promise from God. It was going to change the world. It was going to change everything. And, And the Pharisees and Sadducees, these religious leaders, felt as if Jesus was coming in and taking something away from them, which he was. They were lording over the people this law that God had given, this this good thing that God had given people. They they had taken and and just distorted it and and made it something God never intended. And so Jesus has come. He's bringing a new promise, a new covenant for a new covenant people. And the Pharisees were sick of it. They were trying to get rid of it. Eventually, they did have him murdered. But this is, Jesus was aware of this going on, this trap that they were trying to set. It was a Sabbath trap at that time. He, Jesus had healed someone on the Sabbath, and they were really trying to, to get to him. So Jesus, aware of this, um, withdrew, and many followed him, it says. And he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. Interesting. Verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. It says in Isaiah, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. A Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew, so that's what that is. In verse 19, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Now, this is, this is some of the best stuff you'll hear right here in verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. I, in my Bible, I have that underlined, highlighted. That's just 
powerful truth right there. And the lastly, verse 21, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. We lit the candle, the Advent candle of hope today. So we're going to be talking about hope. Now, the first fill-in in your notes is this. It's when Jesus came, he fulfilled a prophecy spoken 700 years earlier. Now, Jesus coming fulfilled lots of prophecies, but we're going to be looking at the one that's actually referenced in our text in Isaiah. The Bible isn't just some history book. This is a really big takeaway for us as Christians. And maybe you're here today and you're kind of seeking. You're kind of wondering about this book, the Bible, or you're wondering about this person, Jesus Christ. This is a powerful statement that Jesus was prophesied about 700 years before he actually showed up. The Bible isn't just a collection of wise uh, sayings or ancient proverbs, although it is full of great wisdom that humanity has. The Bible is a supernatural, God-breathed work. No other book has prophecies that have been fulfilled and continue to be fulfilled over the centuries. Now, this is pointed out over and over in the New Testament. They say things like this. This happened so that the prophecy would be fulfilled, pointing out the supernaturalness of the scriptures, that, that this book is different than any other book on planet Earth. There is something that goes beyond the, the, the wisdom and knowledge of humanity in here. That this is, this is God's book. It's 66 books, but it, it's a God breathe that men's hands may have penned it, but, but God was supernaturally working through the power of his Holy Spirit through them. So what we have here goes beyond any type of history text, any type of poetry book, any type of apocalyptic literature. This is it. This is God's truth. And we have this amazing supernatural work of prophecies being fulfilled over and over and over. And today we get to look at one of those amazing prophecies that points out the greatness of God and the amazingness that is this book, the scriptures. Now, our world may try to deny it. They will continually try to challenge it, but there's nothing new under the sun. Every challenge, every question has been asked or stated before. Every one of them. There's nothing new. All of the challenges that have come against this book have come against it before. And let me just tell you, this book has stood the test of time. This book has stood the test of criticism from some of the greatest minds that have ever been around. And it's still the number one best-selling book ever written. There is something to be said about that. Think about all of the atheist um, challenges to this book. Think of all the, the historical challenges to this book. Think of all the, I mean, not just one, but all of the higher learning schools that we have that have brought challenges against this book, and they all fall short. There's something different about Jesus. There is something different about this book. If you're here and you're seeking and wondering about Jesus, he was no normal, ordinary man. He was not just some prophet talked about. He was the God-man. Emmanuel, God with us. And let me tell you something. It means something for you. That means something for you. So Jesus coming 
fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah, and we're going to look deep into that prophecy and what it means, what it meant in the time it was written, but what it means for us today as well. Now, another really cool thing about this text is what God was doing when he shared through the prophet Isaiah. And we're, the fill-in for this is this, is that Jesus is God's answer to idolatry. Now, we're really going to have to jump in to see what was going on here to, to really get to what I'm saying here. But Jesus is God's answer to idolatry. So if you have your Bible, turn back with me into the prophet Isaiah um, chapter 42. Hear those papers moving a little bit. I'm going to give you a second to get there. This section um, is entitled, The Lord's Chosen Servant. But we're, I'm actually going to jump back just to, to chapter 41 a little bit in verse 20, 21. Because I really want to get us an idea. Now, why would, why would Jesus bring this, this prophecy to light? Why would, it, why would he bring it up? Let's look and see what's going on. Verse 21 of, of chapter 41 in Isaiah. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them, let them bring them and, and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Now, as you're reading this, what you should be hearing is a, a little bit of um, sarcasm, that God is challenging the peoples of the earth and the idols that they had. He's like, all right, all right, bring them forth. You know, tell us, let them tell us the future. Let them tell us the meaning of the past and everything that's gone on. Bring it, bring it. Bring your good stuff. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's little G. Do good or, or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. I stirred up one from the north, and he has come from the rising of the sun, and he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads clay, who declared it from the beginning, that we might know, and beforehand that we might say, he is right. There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed it, none who heard your words. I was the first to say to Zion, behold, here they are. And I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one among these. There is no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. God makes this challenge to the peoples of the earth and these other little G gods. Who are you? What do you have against me? 
creator of all things. He points this out. He says, let him, spot, let him speak. Bring your, your idols and your crafted things. Let them talk. Let them let prophesy. Let them tell the future. And he, he just lays it out for him, right? He's like, I'll show you who I am. I'll show you who I am. And he gives that amazing, amazing description. But then it gets even better. He's saying, hey, bring your idols. Let them prophesy. No, no, no. I'm going to prophesy. And Jesus is saying, look, now, if we go back to Matthew 12, Jesus is saying, look, this is who I am. This is who I am. My father, through the prophet Isaiah, when he talked to the people and challenged the idols of the earth and the peoples of the earth who had given their lives to these idols and given their lives to these other things, he said, I'm the answer. And he prophesied my coming and this is who I am. Now, Jesus is God's answer to idolatry. We are a people created to worship, created to crave and seek out. When God created humanity, there was, there was no separation in the garden. Humanity was in this perfect harmony with our creator. Worship was constant and natural and uninterrupted. But sin interrupted this perfect harmony. And ever since, the human heart has struggled to find the connection of uninterrupted worship and communion with our creator. So oftentimes, we've looked for hope and peace, satisfaction, worth, fulfillment, or identity in things and created things, and it always leaves us empty and wanting. Idolatry always leaves us disappointed. There is only one who can define our identity, fulfill our deepest needs, or satisfy our deepest desires, and give us true joy and hope, and his name is Jesus. There's this innate, God-placed desire in the human heart to seek out, to search out connection with our creator. And because we were created to worship, to be in this constant communion, this unhindered relationship, we are always looking for that thing. That's something to fulfill us and, and grow us and, and meet that, that desire. There's been songs written about it. There's been books written about it. And we've seen the human heart that will go to no, that knows no end or length to, to find that fulfillment. But anytime we look to created things to give us something that only our creator can, what we're doing is we're building up idols in our hearts and in our lives. But God's solution to this problem was prophesied 700 years ago. Our hope, our hope, your hope to fill that void is Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weak, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden. In verse 20, he says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. He's not going to kick you while you're down. You've been looking, you've been searching, you've been wondering, what can fill me? 
What, what can it be? Maybe you've looked and filled your bank account. Maybe you've looked and you've got every insurance this world has to offer. Maybe you've looked in relationships, men after man after man or girl after girl after girl. Maybe it's in drugs or alcohol or whatever it may be. But you need something. You're desperate for something. And God has been saying for thousands and thousands of years, Jesus is the one you need. He's the only one that can fill that desire. He's the only one that can satisfy that deepest part of you. Only a creator knows what his creation truly needs. On the deepest level. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you fearful and anxious? Are you searching? Are you hopeless? Jesus is the answer. I want to look at two guys in Scripture with two completely different responses to this truth. The first one we're going to find in Luke chapter 18. His story goes like this. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now those who heard it said, Well, then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Here we see this amazing story of this this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. What must I do to be saved? What was he really asking? What do I got to do to find that, that, that eternal hope? Where can I find it? I am wealthy. I've got all this stuff, but there is still something missing in my life. And we see his response and then a great depression that comes afterwards. 
oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> when I, what I really was asking is, is what, what do I need to do? But I got to keep all my stuff, right? I mean, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll do anything, man. But, but that, that Ferrari, dude, like, that's it. Or that big house. Or that 401k. Or that job that pays six figures. Before I go any further, I want to share another story. Really similar story. It's in Luke. It's in Luke 19. Turn a page and follow along. Verse 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He had gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he has also is, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, this is a completely different view of Jesus. Both of these guys were extremely wealthy. They were fine. They had a ton. You would have looked at these guys in the natural, just earthly sense and just said, man, these guys got it all. They got it all. They don't want or need anything. But both of them were desperately lost. Both of them were empty. The first one comes to Jesus looking. The second one's climbing a tree looking for him. The first one asks a question. The second one just gives his stuff away. Doesn't ask anything. He just says, half of everything I have, Jesus, I'm just going to give it to the poor. I can't even believe you know my name. That you would even think of me, that you would even come to my house. I mean, everybody, everybody just doesn't even acknowledge my existence, but you're here. Why? Why would you even think of me? Just take it all. And anybody I've ripped off, anybody I've ripped off, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it back to them four times. I mean, four times the amount. Think about that for a second. Half of everything he has, and then giving back four times anything he's done. What's he gonna have left? What's he gonna have left? Nothing. He's going from the house on the hill to nothing. And it says he received him joyfully. It was Zacchaeus' joy to give half of everything he had and to repay four times anything he had taken or stolen. Two completely different responses to the person of Jesus Christ. You can look at Jesus and be like, hey, he's a good guy. It's great. He died, he died for sin. That's great. Awesome. Or you can look at the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made and know that he knows your name. 
and that before time began, he, he knew the things that you would do, the good and the bad and the ugly. He knew the things that he had set aside for you. And you can think of that and you can just be like, take it all. Half of everything I have, if I've done anything wrong, I'm just going to pay it times, four times back. God, my life is yours. I don't own anything. Everything I am, everything I have, my identity, my job, my spouse, my kids, my life is yours. There's only one response. That's what we're getting here. There's only one response to this great prophecy 700 years ago. And it's this. Everything we are, everything we have, and everything there is, is all Jesus, all his, all of it. And we can only respond by laying it at his feet. It's a Zacchaeus response, not a rich young ruler response. We find hope when we come to the realization that Jesus is our only hope. Let me say that again. We find hope when we come to the realization that Jesus is our only hope. The rich young ruler still trusted in his wealth more than he trusted in God. He believed that what his money and possessions could bring was greater than what Jesus could give him. Zacchaeus didn't care what it cost him. It was an instant surrender. No, no, there was no requirement Jesus even laid out. Jesus didn't even say, well, give what you have to the poor and come follow. There was no, he just, his response to this love, this mercy, this kindness, this compassion that Jesus has, his response was just take it all. It's all yours. I'm done, man, I'm done. You tell me what to do. That's Christianity. You don't come face to face with your creator and walk away and just say, that was nice. Jesus doesn't have people that are just riding the fence. Christianity is just some hobby, some spiritualism. I'm just kind of, writing out. It is all or nothing. We can't have Jesus in an idol or two. We can't believe that it's Jesus and something else. God won't stand for it. He loves us too much to let us die at the altar of some idol when he is the only one worthy of our worship. We have to truly believe Jesus is our only hope. And that leads us to our last point in today's sermon. Jesus brings hope to the Gentiles. Jesus brings hope to the Gentiles. This is a huge statement because God had a chosen people the Israelites, the Jewish people. And he had a covenant, a promise with them. 
And this covenant he had spoken thousands of years before. And he, he said, that I'm going to use this people to bring my son into the world. And he's going to bring hope to all the world. Now, they use this word Gentiles to speak about this new covenant that, that grafts in this, this Gentile people to the chosen people of God. Now, there's, there's not the Jews, God's chosen people. There is God's chosen people. All can come. Anyone can come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. This is a huge statement. Look at our time. If you just look at the world timeline, there's, it's been, what, 2,020 years since Christ. And, and you think about that, that's, that's a small part of all time. Only for that 2,000 years can the Gentiles come be grafted in by the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ. That sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, it was his blood that was shed that paid the price for sin. In that moment, Jesus is our hope. I love this statement. We see in verse 20 in our text today, we find this amazing statement that's easy to overlook. It's just this really short statement that says, until he brings justice to victory. Until he brings, where does justice find victory? Where, where does justice find victory? Where did justice ring out over all eternity, past, present, and future? Where did, where did justice and victory, where did it, did it just kind of encompass all of time? At the cross. At the cross. All of us sinners and enemies of God, we were lost and destined to endure the wrath and justice of a true and perfect God. His perfection and righteousness required that perfect justice, and Jesus fulfilled it on the cross. He brought justice to victory in the cross, and now we are just, and we are victorious because of what Christ has done for you and me. God brought justice to victory on the cross, and now that victory can be yours and mine. Now, the other amazing thing about this prophecy is that in the fulfillment, those who aren't the Jews can be grafted into the family of God, and it's made a way for you and me. This justice brought to victory isn't just some statement. It's the gospel. It's this truth that we can't live up to God's perfect, righteous standard because he's God. And his perfection goes beyond anything we can even comprehend. But Jesus, the God-man, did. Jesus did it. He accomplished it. There had to be a price. The decision that was made in the garden to go against God's will his commanded will, the decisions that you and I have made over our lifetimes that are sinful decisions that go against God's will, his commanded will for our lives. The price has to be paid. If God truly is perfect and his justice is perfect and he is righteous, then there has to be a cost for sin. 
And Jesus paid that cost. Jesus paid that cost. And he brought justice to victory so that you and I don't have to. <laughs> Man, what a, what a picture of hope that is. You see, Jesus coming, Emmanuel, God with us, is so much more than just that little statement. He brings us a hope that goes beyond anything we can imagine, anything we can even dream up. He brings us a life that, that goes beyond those things. He gives us life and life more abundantly. If you have not surrendered your life to Christ today, give your life to him. Surrender your will. Surrender your future to the one who can craft it perfectly, who knows, he knows every wrong you've done, every sinful thought you've had, and you know what? He still says, come to me. A broken, uh, the reed, he will take care of. A smoldering way, he's not gonna stomp it out. He's not gonna kick you while you're down. He's gonna meet you where you are and change your life. Surrender to him today. Jesus is our only hope. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. What an amazing, amazing thing it is that you sent your only son to earth. You sent him to make a way for us to be in right relationship with you, that he would pay the price for sin. He paid my price. He paid our price. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate his coming, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to find our hope in Christ. Help us to find that he is our only hope. Help us to not be accustomed to the ease of life or the things that we trust in here, these temporary, shallow, false gods. But we would look to Jesus as truly our only hope. Thank you for your word this morning for us. Change us for your glory, for your kingdom, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today.